Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to have you with us today. My name is Tim, and I've been battling a cold, so if, you, if I crackle or something, I'm not going through puberty. It's just this nonsense that I don't know how many, anybody else dealing with this, but I've been dealing with this thing for, this may be my fifth week now, so... Um, but uh, it's good to have you with us, and Merry Christmas to everybody, and great to have you with us uh, this morning. Uh, we're um, going to be uh, getting into our lesson in just a minute, and one of the things I want you to know about is next Sunday we'll have our Christmas Eve service at our regular service time here at the campus of Greater Alton. Love you to come, and we're going to be looking at the angels and their song to wrap up this series. We've been looking at Christmas songs, and... Um, just been phenomenal what we've been learning. When you take a good close look, though, you're going to find out that these songs are not really songs. You know what I'm saying? They're not songs. Uh, yes, it says Mary's song and Zechariah's song in the heading of your Bible, but when you look at them, they're not really, uh, they're not singing. They are praising God. And you can praise God singing, and sometimes you can praise God by not singing, okay? I know that maybe someone next to you I wish they would praise God without singing. No, maybe not. Okay, but uh, but you know, music is a big part of that. And and so uh, what I learned as I researched this is that is that these songs became, or these praises of Mary and Zechariah, and what we're looking at today became songs um, years and years and years later. For example, Mary's song is called. That's why Mary's song is called the Magnificent, and the Magnificent that's Latin for magnify and it happens to be that each of these songs start with uh, the same word that they're entitled because she starts by magnifying God that's where we get the idea of magnificent and then we have the Benedictus that's what it was called and these songs were sung in the church centuries later and this Benedictus means to bless Uh, you've heard of a person giving a benediction or Maybe a preacher you've heard, may the Lord bless you and keep you and may His face shine upon you and give you all kinds of peace. Well, that's what a, a priest would say after he offered incense. Zechariah was supposed to say that when he came out of the temple. But if you remember, uh, mum's the word, <laughs> God shut him down. He couldn't speak for nine months. Imagine that. And so uh, he couldn't give the benediction. He had to wait the blessing of the people. He had to wait nine months. And when he finally got his voice back, Boy, howdy, did he beller it out. And the first word he uses is the word bless, the benediction. He's wanting to bless the people with a fantastic song, a fantastic word of praise. And if you haven't got to listen to that lesson, I suggest you you take the time and go back and listen. Not because I preached it, okay? It, it, I just thought it was pretty good. I had a lot of people tell me, pretty good, Tim. And I go, yeah, not bad for an old farm kid. And so, uh, but it's really had jam-packed with some super... Super encouragement. Now today I want to talk about a song that was sung after Christmas. You say, Tim, you're getting ahead of yourself. You know, Christmas is next week. And you're right. It's next next Monday. Not this Monday, but the next Monday. And I, it would be kind of weird for me to say, what are your plans after Christmas when we haven't even had it yet? Right? Well, this song is 40 days or a, a month, a little over a month after Christmas. And it's called the Song of Simeon. And it's Latin. The Latin title that it was given was the was called the Nunc Dimittis, which means now dismiss me. And that's what Simeon sings. He says, "Take me," or "Lord, I don't just dismiss me now. You, I can die now." And and that's what uh, we learn there. Now we don't know a lot about this fella Simeon. 
you've been watching him pray, and you say, well, he's a man of prayer. We got that. Yeah, you're right. And if you read the, the, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2, and you pick it up around uh, verse uh, 23 or 4 or 5 right in there, uh, to maybe 22, you find out that Simeon was a religious man. He was, he, was a, he was a righteous man, the Bible says. He was devout. He had this reputation. He had this deep desire to, to know the Lord and to understand what God was doing. But also the Bible says that he was waiting for the Messiah. So he's not only a religious man, a pious man, he is a patient man. He's been waiting all of his life. And um, we learn that uh, even God promised him that he would see the Messiah, because that's what he's waiting for, that he would see the Messiah before he would die. And you might, you might say, uh, was he, how old was Simeon? Well, it does, the Bible really doesn't tell us how old he was. Some people believe as old as 100. Some people believe as, as young as 50. And so, uh, you know, you've got that, that, he's an older fellow though, we know that much, and he's been waiting. And it's been 40 days since Jesus has been born. 40 days after the first Christmas. Jesus has been circumcised on the eighth day, and now, 40 days later, they're making their way into the temple courts to fulfill some Jewish laws and customs and to offer sacrifices. And God leads, God leads this man into the temple courts. And when he does, something amazing happens. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, yes. May, may I ask, where was your child born? Uh, Bethlehem. And what is his name? Uh, Jesus. We're here in Jerusalem to get him circumcised, you know, as the law requires. He is the one. May I? O sovereign Lord, Thank you that promise. We now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to rise and many others to fall. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And I tell you, a sword will pierce your own soul. I couldn't help but think I was listening to a truck go by. Did you hear that truck go by? I heard, I hear stuff. And you hear the traffic going by. It's in the middle of this busy place in the temple courts. A lot of life going on as usual. Only a few people. Only a handful of people know that Jesus is coming. They know He's there. And it's true. You know, you can miss the secret of Christmas real quick, folks, if you're not paying attention. It can come and go, and you, you forget to see how amazing it truly is. And so it's been 40 days. 
about 40 days since, since uh, Jesus has been born. And Simeon, when he sees Jesus, I love the way uh, Simeon was so excited. His eyes light up. I mean, and he, and he starts praising God. And he starts talking about how you can take me now, Lord. I don't have to live anymore. I, I can die in peace and contentment because I've seen your salvation with my own eyes. And it's so exciting. And you're go, you're, he's going he's gonna to save everybody. This is, this is really amazing that you've given me this honor. And the, and the Bible says this in verse uh, 33 in Luke chapter 2. It says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. After his song, after he got through singing, after he got through praising God, the, the, his mom and dad are like, wow. And maybe it was confirming what they knew about Christ. That's possible. But they were also just taken back by just the sheer magnitude of what Christmas was about, even after Christmas. I don't know when you officially end Christmas. A lot of people end it on Christmas. You know, it's done. We've opened the presents. We're done. You know, traditionally, Christmas doesn't shut down till 12 days after Christmas. Did you know that? That's that song on the 12 days of Christmas. Some people don't shut their lights off till uh, January for a while. It's still going on. I don't know what you what what you think of Christmas. Some people would like would wish that Christmas would last all year long, or we could take. <laughs> no, Don, don't shake your head too quick there. <laughs> okay, but, but but we would the meaning of Christmas would go with us all year long, right? That we'd have this peace and harmony and goodwill toward men all year long. Well, this is an amazing holiday. Easter, Christmas, big Christian moments because we have the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is an amazing moment that's happening here. No wonder Simeon is excited. And so what does his mom and dad do? They marvel, which means to be in wonder, to be amazed at what they're hearing from this man's song. And what I'd like to do today is look at this song and break it down a little bit and see if we would, if we could be amazed. If Simeon could amaze us um, about what Christmas is really about. Why is Christmas so amazing? Let me give you three messages from this song that I hope and I pray that you'll be amazed too by this wonderful holiday we, we observe once a year. Number one, there's, there's nothing God wants more than to save everyone. Praise God. There's nothing God desires, plans for, dreams of, wants more than see everybody saved. You know, a lot of Christmas songs share common themes. If you were to say, you know, what would be some of those common themes that if you were to list a particular topic, you'd probably get several Christmas songs that would relate to it. For example, if you typed in the word snow, how many Christmas songs have the word snow in it? Oh, there's gobs of them. How about sleighs or bells or Noel or, or maybe uh, Santa? Goodness, there's tons of them. Reindeers, tons of them. Christmas trees, tons of them. Lots of them. Well, what's the central thought in the songs we've been looking at here in, in Luke chapters 1 and 2? What seems to be the reoccurring theme? And what I notice... And I don't want to sound uh, 
redundant, but the passage doesn't get me off the hook here, okay? It forces me, I say, for, it nudges me to say, Tim, you've got to talk about this some more. Because the theme that runs through these three songs, the most com- the common theme is salvation. It just keeps reoccurring and reoccurring in all these songs. For example, with Mary, it's very personal. It's very personal. Let's read this together. Let's look at this passage up here in Luke 1. Let's read it together. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Just circle my Savior. Did you see that? With Mary, it's very personal. She sees, she sees, when she praises God, she goes, you know, I, He's my Savior. She sees her need for salvation. And you and I talked about that, if you remember. We looked at that uh, the first week. And is there anything wrong with it being personal? Absolutely not. Thank God. Christmas tells me He came to save me. Christmas tells you as an individual, He came to save you. Isn't that great news? That's amazing. Zechariah takes a little bit further. It's more about a group. It's more about his people. Look what he says here. His, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. Zechariah says, man, He's come to His, his, his people Israel. I'm one of those people. Is it personal? Yeah. But it's even bigger. It's like a circle has gotten bigger, drawn bigger. The territory of who God wants to save has grown. And Zechariah mentions it. But Simeon, Simeon takes it all the way. He starts singing, it's not just about him, himself, or his people. It's about everybody else. Look what he says. For my eyes have seen your salvation. It's important. I want you to underline your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's not saying my eyes have seen my salvation. But what you, Lord, want to do with people, what you want to do on this earth, my eyes have seen Jesus, and He's your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He mentions Israel by name, God's people, but He also mentions that Jesus would be a a revelation a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He wants to reach the Gentiles too. I think Luke 2 up here on the screen in the New Living Translation says it this way. He said, Lord, I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Now think about this. They're in the temple courts. Jews are everywhere. Not a Gentile around. All Jews. It's crowded, moving around the typical you know, temple court day. And Simon is the first to say something about people outside of their group. He mentions Gentiles. You just don't do that. You just don't say, hey, uh, well, let's get some Gentiles in here. What? No, this is a Jewish thing. This is our thing. You know, and he's, no, no, this is for everybody. It's everybody's thing. Well, what do you mean by Gentile? What's a Gentile? Well, it's people that are Another group. They're in another group. They're not Jewish. The Bible would call them, and we'd probably learn, they'd call them pagans or foreign or heathens. In other words, they're not in our group. You can see where this is going? They're not in my group. 
They're outside of my circle. And Simon is saying, God, I see what you want to do, who you want to save. I see in Jesus, your salvation. How are you going to save everyone? See, at one time, salvation seemed to be centered around just the Jews. God just seemed to be working for the Jewish people. Yeah, you might have an exception now and then, but most of the time it was Jewish stuff. You read your Old Testament, most of the time it's Jewish stuff. And the Jews were promised that the Messiah would come, and they've been waiting for the Messiah. Gentiles don't, aren't waiting for anybody. So they're, they're specifically thinking about this Messiah coming because they know it's for our people. But now it's for everyone. I've, I, I don't know if they captured it very well, but let me ask you, just think about this. And moms, you can answer this better than anybody. You just had a child, and it's about a month old. The baby's about a month old. And some rickety-tickety, smelly old man comes up to you and wants to hold your baby. I don't think so. I remember years ago, you know, uh, getting Denise to watch our kids was like pulling teeth. Well, come on, I don't trust anybody. We could get somebody at Greater Alton to watch our kids. I don't know if I can. I think I see her point. I, I didn't understand. And finally, I convinced her. See, we had a, one of our sons passed out all the time. What do you mean he passed out, Tim? Well, he had this, this thing that I have, and my mother had, and her mother had, and it's when this Vega nerve, or Vegas, Vegas, this Las Vegas nerve, when it gets hit a certain way, you know, oh, you know, you, something happens. No, what, ha- what happens is if you get startled, or if you get surprised, you know, surprised, uh, or, or mad, all of a sudden this vagus nerve kicks in, and next thing you know, you lose consciousness. You just keep breathing out. You know, you ever see the kid do this? He falls down, and you pick him up, and you're going, and you're thinking, you're waiting for it. Finally, <sighs> Matthew didn't do that. He'd go, his eyes would roll back, and then, and I'm like, is he dead? I mean, it was awful. You did, I didn't want to give anybody this kid. We went to Tulsa one time, the daycare. Sign him up. And I go, by the way, he passes out. And I hear him, we're walking out. We're walking away and they're going, what do you mean he passes out? You'll find out. And so, getting a babysitter, you're just reluctant. We did get that babysitter, and the ambulance came to our house. And my son went catatonic. He'd had two episodes in a row. And my wife looks at me and goes, See? I said, I don't think it's their fault. It's Matt's fault. You know, should have calmed down. So, we're waiting to see which of Matt's kids... A third one's coming. You know that may be the one. And, <clears throat> Dad, you know. No. But, um, so you just don't, your moms, am I right? You just don't hand your kid to somebody? Yeah, even around here. No, I think I'm not going to bring him to church for a month, you know. 
because you don't get sick, right? Because we are a sickly group of people. And so, and so what happens? Well, here, they just, Mary and Joseph are bringing their baby to the temple court, and Simeon walks up and, can I, can I, can I hold, can I hold that kid? And they're like, now I learned something. I've learned something from Mary and Joseph. I want to do a series on Mary and Joseph next year. And, and it goes something like this. And that is that, you know, we want to, those that have Jesus need to be willing to share Jesus with others. And that's something. That's powerful. I'm looking, I'm thinking, I want to do a series just on those two. That'll be fun for next year. But, we, but here's what I notice about this is that, is that, um, and I think, why does Mary and Joseph sharing Jesus like that? They don't seem to be so territorial. It's because, it's, it's because He's for everyone. He's for everyone. See, we tend to be a little territorial with stuff as Americans. Am I right? Us against them. Cardinals versus Cubs. Almost had to fight a gag reflex, sorry. No, we do that, right? Our teams wear colors. We walk around. My team's going to whoop your team today. Fantasy football. I mean, it's we got Kevin's team, Matt's team, Nathan's team, Mike Dennis's team. You know, everybody's got your team. We do it in politics. There's Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. I don't know if they're that independent, but they, they claim to be. They can't make up their mind. They're independents. We, we, we see territory when it comes to gender. You don't think there's... It's changing some, but I'll tell you what. If you don't think there's any territory, fellas, try walking in the ladies' room. Well, maybe the other way around. You're going to get in trouble. There's territory. There's territory with age. Mom, does she have to come? I'm ten. She's eight. It's just two-year difference. When you're 62 and 60, it won't matter. Well, it matters now. Territory. Education, occupation, it's everywhere, territory. We draw our circles. Even churches. Even churches. We draw our circles. Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Catholic. Or it can be us and them. Am I right? And Simeon's excited. He's Why? Because God made a selection. God is selective, folks. And He says, I draw my circle all around the world. My circle's the biggest. When I see your salvation, Simeon says, I see you want to save everyone. Do you share Simeon's excitement? If you're a believer in Christ... Do you share Simeon's excitement? Who do you want to see saved? Well, I want to be saved. Well, that's good. Great. That's wonderful. It should start there. Are you saved? Are you right with God? Have you, have, are you a Christian? Have you made the commitment to Christ the Bible calls us to? Well, I want to see my spouse saved. 
I remember as a kid, I didn't want my dad coming to church. You know why? We'd get in trouble. Because Danny and I'd sit in the back row, making paper airplanes, making faces at the preacher. <laughs> I don't think it helped. I remember one time he came to church, and I over the back row, and I go, Danny, hit my hand. And I had it right about this far from the back of the pew. And he goes, and I moved my hand at the last minute. Pow! I'll never forget my dad turning around going, we're going. I wasn't sure if I wanted my dad saved when I was a kid. Because he'll come in and mess up everything. People will find out what I'm really doing at home. Just being honest, it wasn't until later I realized, man, I want my dad saved. He never became a Christian. He died lost. Maybe you want your kids saved. Maybe you, maybe you say, well, an uncle. I'm all about that aunt, but the uncle maybe. Where's your circle? How far does your circle go out? Here's how you know how far your circle goes out. You're sharing your faith with those people. Look, look what 1 Timothy 2.4 says in the International Children's Bible. God wants all people to be saved. And on Christmas, praise God, He drew. God drew His circle. And Simeon goes, you've included me? He includes you. Every one of us He includes in this circle. But the circle goes further out than this dome. It goes into your workplace. It goes into your school. It goes everywhere. His territory, His salvation includes my friends, but I've also realized it includes the strangers I meet. It includes those that, this is hard for me, that help me and hurt me. That thrill me and disappoint me. It includes people who agree with me, but some that I just can't agree with. They, I disagree with them. It includes people that look like me. And people that don't even begin to look like me. And it includes, God circles, Tim, that circle includes more than those that are close to you. It goes all over, way over to the other side of the planet. Those people far away. Well, what can I do? I'm just telling you I want everybody saved. Do you? I want everyone saved. He wants my gay friends saved, my straight friends saved. He wants my friends that seem to have, they're disciplined and they, they, they seem to have all their hair combed and they have all their, their houses clean. And he wants me to, he wants to save also the people I know that may smell funny or they may not keep a good home. They may not keep a clean home. He, want, he, he wants to save the people I know that, that have a job and those that don't have a job. That is amazing. Because we live in a culture that's constantly drawing these circles in territory. He wants to save liberals? Really? Are you sure? I remember one time, I, I've been audited so many times I can't see straight. Wait, Tim, do you have a problem with that? I don't know. I think it's just the way it is. I got audited as a preacher one time. 
and I invited the tax, this tax guy, my auditor, to church. He goes, after he run me through the ringer, he goes, you're going to invite me to church? Well, even Jesus loved the tax collectors. And I thought, that's true. What's so amazing about Christmas is that God wants to save everyone. Second thing, as Simeon is singing, and these parents are marveled by, is that he says, he says something like this, there's nothing more thrilling than when God works in my life. There's nothing more exciting when God is working. Amen? This morning I had somebody run up to me, so excited because somebody's here. So excited. Can you believe it? Why? You know what they're excited about? God is working. God is doing something. And see, I noticed something about Simeon. God is very, very active in Simeon's life. I don't think it's coincidental. And I notice it's, that this, this activity is leading him to something. Getting him to something. Preparing him for something. Look at Luke 2 with me here. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation of Israel, another word for Messiah. That's what he's waiting for. And look what it says. And the Holy Spirit was on him. What's that mean? The Holy, the Holy Spirit is, God is working on him. God is around him. God is moving him. God is touching him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. There it is again. That he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So God is not just influencing and just being on him, but he's also pointing him and directing him and giving him insight. You mean I'm going, I'm revealing to you a plan, part of my plan here, and it involves you're going to get to see the Messiah before you die. That's really? Yeah, you're going to get to see him. You know how many people, God, you know how many people know about this? Shh, only of you. You're one of them. I've been waiting so long. I know. I've been praying. I know. You're going to get to see him. Marvelous when God answers prayer and says yes, huh? He says yes. Oh, it's wonderful. 27. Moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple court. So he's being directed and guided and nudged. He's not quenched the Spirit's fire. He wants God. He wants God. Well, he wants his direct. He wants God in his life. So we don't know a lot about Simeon here. We, is he a priest? Doesn't say. Is he a prophet? Doesn't say. Is he powerful? Does he have a title? Doesn't say. Doesn't depend on that, see? Luke leaves that out for Theophilus for a reason. That's the guy he wrote to. But we do know this about Simeon. He's not sitting on his hands. He's not just waiting for something to happen, just passing the time. No, he, God is a big, big part of his life. The Bible says he's righteous. What's that mean, righteous? Well, he does what's right and never does anything wrong. That's not what that means. If that's what righteousness is, I'm in trouble because I'm I don't always do what God says. 
And Simeon didn't always do what God says, but it is this desire to please God, specifically in the area of how we treat each other. He is a righteous man and devout. What's this word devout mean? He has such a strong desire to please God. He wants to do what God wants, but he also wants to honor God in whatever he's doing, wherever he is. And so to sing at church is one thing, but when he leaves and he goes to a restaurant or somebody's home or he's by himself, he's going, I bring my worship there too. I honor God. I want to honor God. I want to lift up God in my private life, not just my public. And he's waiting. He's patient. He's a patient man. He's been waiting for years. The Jews have been waiting for generations for this. And he's, he's been waiting a long time. It's believed he's, he's, he's a part of a group. They begin to call this group, this remnant from Malachi 3, this remnant of people, um, the quiet in the land. It's almost like um, we call the silent majority. The quiet in the land. What are they? They're not out to be violent. They're not out throwing rocks. They're not trying to make a bunch of noise and give us our way or else. No, they're praying, God, Your way. I want Your way to take place. I want Your will to take place. And they're praying in their closets. And they're looking and watching and waiting to see. See, the, the, some people believe the Magi were part of this type of group. The quiet in the land. They're constantly in prayer. They're constantly calling out to God. That's what Simeon is doing. See, the Lord is a big part of his life. He plays a big part in his life so much that he prays. And listen, when you pray, it's so important we understand this. You are not going to find the Lord with a casual approach. You're not going to have a thrilling experience about being a Christian with a casual approach to God. If you think He's just going to be a part here and a part there, and, and you're going, man, I, you know, this religious stuff just isn't all what I cracked up to be. Well, you're not experiencing it. To be quite honest, you're experiencing something else. That's an Americanized Christianity you don't want to have anyway. It's watered down. No, when you pray... When you're like Simeon, devout, righteous, and you're waiting, you're praying, and you're in... Listen, whenever we pray, church, when you're praying, you're in... I said this in the notes. I'll say it to get it out and get it over with. Prayer invites and involves God. But can I tweak that a little bit? Because it not only just... It, it invites God into what's going on and involves God in what's going on. It, in, it invites and involves me and in what... He's got going on. So I ask yourself, have, have I been praying about stuff or have I been quit praying? And then I wonder why God's not working. Because when you pray about it, let me tell you, you keep praying about it. And you're going to get the thrill of your life. God's going to change something. How long did Simeon pray? We don't know. We don't know when, when he found out, but we know he's been praying a long, long, long time. I want my spouse to change. 
I want my children to change. I want my marriage to change. I want my situation at work to change. I understand all that. Have you, been, have you quit praying about it? You might have to pray for years before it takes place. I prayed 20 years before my mother would finally sit down and study the Bible with me. 20 years. By the way, what I did during those 20 years was not just pray. I got ready because I knew God was going to finally answer that prayer. You might want to get ready. I want my spouse to become a Christian. Are you sure about that? What, are they, what if they got real serious? Oh, I'd love it. I don't know. You better think about that. I know a lot of couples that pray that and then he or she finally gives their life their life to God and it's not what they thought it would be. No, prayer. Simeon's saying, God, I want you to be active. And because he's active, because he's so active, then God becomes active. The Holy Spirit begins to work. I want you to know, I've said earlier that, that God was a big, a big part of his life. If I'd say he was a big thing in Simon's life, I want you, or Simeon's life, he was a, he was everything in Simeon's life. That's how big it was. So it doesn't surprise me that God wants Simeon to know Jesus before he dies. And by the way, isn't that a great lesson for us? That we want to know Jesus before we die? So we can die? And here's this old guy. And by the way, I'm old, so I can say it. He's, this is an old guy. He's just not as on his game as he used to be. Not got the energy he used to be. But he's getting excited. Because he senses something. It's getting closer. How does he know that? With every passing birthday, he knows I'm that much closer. I'm that much closer. And then he discovers that I, I feel like I need to go to the temple today. I feel like I'm being nudged to, to this idea of going, I'm going. So he goes to the temple and God arranges this encounter. And I want you to know, God does this all the time. He still does that today. He's arranging encounters. He arranged that encounter you had, you experienced, when you weren't a believer, and a believer stepped into your life. That wasn't coincidental. God was behind that. God nudged that member of Greater Alton. Isn't that what we're about? Really, really say, God, you want to save everyone. That's what God wants us to be about here. You want to use me. And He's going to nudge me. I feel uncomfortable. Why do I feel like I got to, why do I feel like I'm supposed to go talk to that guy? Well, I'll just resist it and it'll go away. And it will go away. What happened to the person that went, I feel the call of God to go talk to, I'm going to go do it. Because God's working. What a thrilling exciting life to have when you know God is working not just on you, but through you. There's nothing better. I mean, I could, I'm just trying to imagine Simeon. He's in the temple and he's, he's going, okay, I'm here, Lord. I know He's here. So he must, it must be time. It must be very, very close. But what will I, 
Well, well, like me. Well, he sees a young man walk by. A young man. Looking pretty good. Is that the guy? No. Kind of like Samuel and, and, uh, he's looking for a king to replace Saul at Jesse's house. Remember that? And, he, and is this the guy? No, that's not him. Is that the guy? Not him. Well, that's gotta be the guy. That's the guy I want to see as king. Nope, not him either. Simeon's walking around. Sees a little kid. Get away from the parents. Maybe, you know, you know how little boys can be. Now off he goes. He's running through the courts. Is that him? Nope. Oh, man. Looks like. What, what is he expecting? And all of a sudden, here comes this couple in, and they're poor. He, you can see it all written all over them. They have two pigeons. He knows they're poor. Because that's what poor people offered. They didn't have enough money to get a goat or a sheep or a bull or anything like that. Two pigeons. Is that the one? Yes. Walks up. Can I? And they hand him over. And he is so, so excited. Lord and Master, he says. What a response. Look at this in Luke 2. Lord and Master. I think that's important. I want, you know, if that's on your notes, I think it is. Circle Lord and Master. See, that's, God begins to work when He's Lord and Master of your life. That's not He's a part of my life. He is my life. He's Lord and Master. And look, I am your loving servant. I have surrendered to you. And then He says, now I can die content for your promise to me has been fulfilled. With my own eyes, I have seen your word, the Savior you sent into the world. I've seen it with my own eyes. I think Job talks about that. He says, one day I will see you face to face, eyeball to eyeball. And he says, I'm overwhelmed at the thought. And so he's, I I can't believe this. God is actually doing this. And I'm involved in it. I read the prayer requests. I read the prayer, I go through the prayer requests. Those of you fill out, uh, they're sent to me. I pray through them. And some of you, you remain anonymous, and I understand why. You have your concerns. I want you to know, if you feel like you're not in the game, you're not even in the same stadium, if you don't feel like, you know, God, uh, my, my days of God using me are over or haven't begun, I want to tell you, God wants to use you so bad. He really wants to work in your life. And it's not about making everything so sour and bad for you. That's not what He wants to do. He wants to bless it. He wants to bless it. That's His plan. And He wants to use you. He wants you to be involved in Christmas. Not just observe it. He wants you to experience it and help others experience it. I don't know. Maybe you've had a tough year. I have. Okay, it's been a tough one. And maybe you've had a tough year, or maybe you've been, there's moments where you feel like Simeon, you know, praying and nothing's happening. It's been awful quiet this year in my life. God's just, there's not a lot been going on in my life, in my small group, in my family, in my outreach. And, and you may be thinking, Lord, you know, I want you to work. I want you to do something. I want you to make something happen. And I'll tell you, you start praying that way and God's going to answer that prayer. 
Because God wants to work in you. And there's, He wants to thrill you, blow your mind, excite you like nothing else. More than Facebook. Much more than Facebook. You follow me? Much more than a president or better spending by Illinois. That would be great. That would excite me. Not going to happen, but that would excite me. You know what I'm saying? But he says, man, I want to work. I want to work in your life. I want to, I want to be around you all the time. Take me into those places. Invite me into these places. Include me in those moments. And I will blow you away. See, God promises. Somebody, by the way, I don't know who needs to hear this. Here you go. God promises to work all things together for your good. He promises that. And He works on that. Somewhere I found a passage in John 5 where Jesus is getting into it with some people and He says, My Father is always working and I am too. He doesn't clock out. You can clock out. I can clock out. He's still working. He wants to work. Psalm 71 says, I'm overwhelmed by how much you have done for me. I'll praise your mighty deeds, sovereign Lord. I will tell everyone that you alone are just and good. I want to ask you, when's the last time you've been thrilled like that by the Lord? When's the last time? Can I tell you when it was? When He had all of you and not part of you? You never experience this thrill with a casual approach. I love Isaiah 64. Since before time began, no one has ever imagined, no ear heard, no eye seen, a God like You who works for those who wait for Him. Who wait for Him. Nothing's happening, Tim. You keep waiting. Well, what's another word for wait? Trust. You trust the Lord. Because He works for those who do. And the third amazing thing I notice, I'm thrilled by, perhaps the most of all, from Simeon's song is this, there is nothing more satisfying than knowing Jesus. There's nothing... Simeon was there and he took the child in his arms, praising God. Look, he said, now I can die content. For I've seen him as you promised me I would. I've seen the Savior as was given to the world. He's saying, I don't need anything else now. I'm, I'm done. I'm satisfied. You know, there was a time when, when Simeon was unsettled. There was a time when he was restless. There was a time he was bothered. And God says, I'm going to satisfy you. And he goes away going, Lord, I'm so satisfied. I've never been this satisfied. Let me ask you, are you ever satisfied? See, contentment is a hard thing to achieve. And we are such a discontented people. Look at... Uh, 
Solomon says, people never stop dying and being destroyed. Well, that's true. Well, let me give you something else to think about. And they never stop wanting more than they have. Think that's true? Yeah. I want more. That was the first service. You Homer Simpson people. The rest of you, I'm sorry. i got to talk about it. Remember when he goes to hell and he's going to be fed all the donuts in hell? You want donuts, Homer? And there's, you look in the background, this demon's got this machine. And there are a gazillion donuts as far as I can see. Then have all the donuts in hell. And this machine is picking his nose up, opening his mouth, and a donut goes down. And then about halfway through, he goes, more, more, more. And the demon's like, what? And next thing you know, he's ate all the donuts in hell. They're all gone. He's ate all the donuts in hell. Here's a demon panicking because there's no more donuts. I guess that could be really bad in hell. But that's you, you say, well, that's silly. That's a cartoon. But you know, we do. We want more. We want more. We want more money. We get paid and we go more, more, more. Get a bonus? More, more, more. How come I didn't get more, more? At J.D. Rockefeller. How much money do you want to make? He was a millionaire of his time. Now, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Everybody wants more. More time. More free time. Come on. You know it's true. More clothing, more shoes, more shirts, more toys, more tools, more apps. You know anybody that's got a phone just full of every app you can imagine? Good grief. There's an app for that? Yeah, you want to see it work? No. (laughs) We want more pleasure, more respect, more admiration. We want more control. More, more, more. The United States storage industry made $22 billion this past year. An annual for stuff that can't fit in our house anymore. We have so much stuff, we're paying people to store it for us, and they're making $22 billion just in the United States. Simeon says, I don't need any of that. Huh? No. I don't want any more. I can die satisfied. I can die in peace. How can you say that, Simeon? Tim, I'm holding Jesus in my arms. I have Jesus. There's nothing else. Nothing else matters. But He hasn't done anything. He hasn't saved anybody. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't fed anybody. He hasn't died on the cross. He hasn't resurrected. He doesn't have to do all that. What a lesson. I just, you know, Tim, I just wish God would do this and do this and do this. I know I hear you too. I know the same way. I want more. More God. More God. Isn't it enough that I have Him? Isn't it enough that you have Him? Does he have to do more? Simeon says, no, just having him, just holding him is enough for me. See, that's what's so amazing about Christmas. I can take hold of Jesus now. 
and just have a relationship with God. How many times I've been so restless, so messed up, so angry, so bitter, so afraid, and then I think of Jesus and I start my faith and I get my faith around Him and I begin to calm down. Am I the only person that discovered this? I know I'm late a lot of times. I'm the last guy to come around. That's what I'm noticing. You see, when you take hold of Jesus, you possess a joy like no other. You take hold of a path like no other. It leads to life. Always to life. And you, you, you experience this deep sense of contentment and confidence and peace. And it does pass all understanding. David said it this way, You satisfy me more than the richest feast. Nothing. Listen, church, nothing satisfies like knowing Jesus. So let me ask you as we close, what are you excited? What's, 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 what's exciting you about Christmas? What are you in wonder over? What are you amazed about? Are you excited about the latest bargain? Are you excited about a party that's coming up? Are you excited about getting some time off? You know, is there anything wrong with that, Tim? No, no. Oh, don't, you know, what really ought to grab us, what really ought to grab you and me is, is the Christ child. Simeon's like, man, that's where it's at. That should excite you the most. And if you've not been excited, may God excite you once again. Maybe you've lost your excitement because you've let go of the Lord. You've lost that grip on God. And you, he's, he's slipped through your fingers somehow this year. You can get a hold of Him again. You know, Mary and Joseph aren't going, no. You can walk up like Simeon and go, can I? And the Father, the Father will say, absolutely. Let me read this passage and then we'll pray. Paul said this. I thought it kind of related to, to this. Sounds like Simeon again. I think that all things are worth nothing compared with the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have lost all those things and now I know they're worthless trash. They don't satisfy. This, listen to this. This allows me to have Christ and to belong to Him. He said, I can have a hold of Him and He can have a hold of me. And I pray that this morning you'll be encouraged to take hold of Jesus. He wants to take hold of you. There's a card in your bulletin. and Maybe you want to pray. You ask for some prayers or there's something you want to say. Maybe there's something you want to share that I didn't cover in this lesson. I'll take that too. But I just know some of us here. It's time to take hold of Jesus again. It's time to take a hold of the Lord and be thrilled by Christmas. We're going to give you an opportunity to fill out this card while we sing a song and then we'll sing another song and pick up those cards and you'll be dismissed. May God bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. And may He thrill you the next few hours as you digest this passage.
Go back and read it. And may it excite you to see how amazing Christmas really is. Let's pray. Father, thank You for, for this song. There's certain songs, Lord, I just love to hear during the holidays. And Father, I love the message in this one. Father, we pray that we hear the message in this song and that it will help you and Help you see that we, we, we're hearing you and that you'll be able to work. Help Father thrill us, excite us. For some of us here, Father, we, we, we've been waiting for you to work. Father, we again ask work. Father, I think of some people that I don't know if I want to see saved. I don't think about it, their salvation. Father, we all have those people in this, in this circle. Father, help us Expand that circle to include them. And Father, as we go from gadget and the thing, and I'm sure you shake your head like a parent does at a child playing with a toy that's just brightly colored junk. Father, I pray, we pray, that we'll discover how satisfying you really are more than anything else. Comfort those that are hurting in this room, Father, and not here today. Inspire many of us here who sit and watch to stand up and move in Your direction so You can use us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.